0: Malachi, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then, once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word.
1: Last Thursday evening, I was privileged to go to Port City Church. They have a college meeting there called Overflow. And I was just hanging with my college friends and my college hoodie on. Most people couldn't even tell that I was 50 year old faster, just hanging out in the back, chilling back, you know. Uh, obviously, there was no mistaking who I was there. Uh, my friend was uh, in, my, uh, in my Young Life Club who was the speaker that night, so I went to listen to him. Got a chance to hear Lee Taylor and the band over there. It was awesome. And then the next night, Friday night, I got to rock it down with New Beginning Christian Church. Went there at 7, had, had a conflicting meeting, and I thought, well, I, you know, this thing's going to last from 7 to 9. I'll come to my other meeting a little bit late. 10.30. <laughs> There I was rocking it out with my my African-American brothers and sisters. Nobody was mistaking me for one of those. I was sitting on the front row on the front seat. I was the very center. And we were stomping on Satan. You know, I was just getting down. I mean, you should have seen me. For three and a half hours, worn out when I was done. And uh, so it was fun. But man, it's, it's great to be here. I just enjoy being here. And I'm thankful for what we're, we're doing here. I'm thankful for these other churches that are they're doing something of the same and yet something different, trying to reach the city for Christ. And one of the main things that we're trying to do here is to, to preach through books of the Bible and hear what God has to say both in a time and then for our time. And so we're looking at Malachi. We're sadly coming to the very end here. Next week will be the last one. And we're looking at these last few verses here in um, chapter 3 and then again in chapter 4. The title of the sermon comes from verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves and the one who does not serve. Then... Well, when 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 is then? It's it's in the last day. You see that in verse 17, the Lord is coming in a particular day. And when He says the day, it's the day of judgment. And in this day, there's going to be a distinction that God is going to make between the the righteous and the wicked from those who serve him and, and don't serve him. And Malachi has come into this particular place as the preacher, as the prophet, and he's desperately trying to lift the vision of these people off of their current circumstances to see something that's happening eternally. He, he, they, they've gotten locked down in certain things that are happening right now, and he's trying to say, I know these circumstances may d- be difficult, but the the way you, you see this particular circumstances is see it in light of all eternity. Don't see this particular moment as eternal. See what really is eternal. Have, have the last day in view. Stephen Covey, who wrote the... Um, the leadership book 7 habits of highly effective people a uh, habit number 2 begin with the end in mind and, and really that's what Malachi is saying, live now with the end in mind. I want you to see the end so you really are living the right kind of life right now. He's, he's inside the church and he's, he, he's trying to wake up his congregation. And I want to read the first few verses in chapter 4 and you'll need to look along with me. And just hear the, the power and, and sense the uh, passion behind Malachi's words here. He's saying that this day is coming and there's going to be a distinction. And then chapter four, behold, so so pay attention, wake up. The day is coming burning like an oven. See it's it's catching everyone's attention. This day of judgment, this day of distinction, it's coming at great speed. It's coming at God's speed. And it's coming for some, and it's burning like an oven. It's burning like an oven for all the arrogant and the evildoers. They'll be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord. And when it, when it comes, it's going to leave no root, no branch. There's going to be no remembrance once he comes. So, so, so wake up. Look at, the, live in the reality of this day coming. And then verse 2, but for you. Okay, I'm paying attention now because I want to be in the but for you group. I mean, after he says there's a day coming that's like an oven and he says, but for you, I mean, meaning there's another group you can be in. And now I'm intensely interested in this second group because I don't want to meet the last day like a blaze, like a, like an oven, but for you, but for you who fear God's name, this day is going to be like the sun. It's not going to burn away. It's going to provide healing. I'm sure you felt this somewhere in this last week or two. Have you not? You stood outside when the sun came out. And didn't it feel like, yes, healing in my bones. I was out on the waterway on Friday and I just stopped and I was just like, oh. and I just felt like I, I looked better and was thinner at that moment than I'd ever been. You know, and it was just because the sun was out. And this this sun is coming. And yes, there's hurt and harm right now. But in this day, this sun's going to come. And there's going to be healing in this sun. And it's not just going to be healing he goes on to describe, you shall go out leaping like a calf from the stall. It's like you're going to have been pinned up by this sinful world. And when that day comes, you're going to be like this calf who got let go from the stall. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. So when I read this, i like, calf gets let go from a stall. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. But maybe it looks like my dog, who when he, on vacation, when he got stuck in the kennel. I don't know if this happens to every dog, but it happened to my dog. He's in the little two-foot square, I guess, for a week, right? And yeah, they walk him, but you know, it's not for about five minutes, okay. And he's stuck in this little pen. But when we got our little dog, Perry, back, what did it do? No, 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 no. just crazy. All over the house, you know, all over the yard, all over the car. You couldn't stop him for like 20 minutes. Why? Because he'd been set free. That's how you're going to be. That's how I'm going to be. Think about it. You're not going to be encumbered by sin or fear anymore. Imagine how that's going to feel. You're going to feel like you've been set free from a cage. So the sun is going to come up and it's going to start this healing process. And you're going to feel like you've been set free. That's the day that you need to have in mind. So when it gets difficult today, you have that in your view. So Malachi is, is, is constantly coming to this congregation and trying to lift up their head from their current circumstances cur- current circumstances, and, and say, live with the end in view. And, and we can easily see Malachi making a distinction of his own here in his own congregation. First, there's the, the group in chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. These are the people I call the sour people. And we've heard from them all the way through. And then he turns his attention to a, what seems and sounds like a small group of people. Verse 16 and 17. So maybe in a way to remember, it's the, the sweet and sour. we got the sour people first and then the sweet people second. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, verse 13. But you say, well, how have we spoken against you? And you have said, it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking in the morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed and evildoers not only prosper, but they, they put God to the test and they escape. So Malachi's congregation is largely made up of complainers sour people. And we've seen it, haven't we not, through our study? God comes with some measure of instruction and every time it's pushed back. Chapter 1, verse 2, God says, I've loved you, and they respond, yeah, yeah I don't see it. How have you loved us? Chapter 3, verse 8, you're robbing me. Yeah, I, I don't see it. How have we robbed you? And then here in verse 13, your words have been hard against me. You know what words? It's like they're, they're they're the newly minted teenager who suddenly believes they're smarter than their parents. They, they just somehow arrived at thirteen, and now their parents are fools. And anytime any instruction comes from the parents, it's, it's all pushback. It's now I no 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 I know and you don't get to question me. I get to question you. And and they just turn sour inside. And instead of receiving instruction, they're asking God to check his vision. You know, I don't think, God, I don't think you see quite correctly. Here, if you could, if you could see things the way I see them, that's sort of their sour approach now to life. And, and Malachi's congregation had grown tired of not getting a good return on their investment in keeping God's commands. You, you know, walking in God's ways just didn't seem to be paying off like they thought. They looked around and they saw the arrogant and the evildoers being blessed. And so they reached this terrible conclusion. You can see it in verse 14. It's vain to serve God. I mean, there's no profit in it. The word in the Hebrew vain means deceptive or fake or empty. It's like a facade, you know, on the movie sets. You see the movie sets. It looks like a house or it looks like a city block or something. But, you know, you open the door and what's behind It's It's not nothing. And that's what it's like when you're serving God according to the sour people. It looks like it's going to be something. But then when you open the door, it's empty. And so now they're saying it's vain to follow God. God looks good, but he's just an empty suit. This is the the sour attitude that comes out again and again. And I think the main problem, it's a very familiar problem, is is that they're measuring profit only by what they see right now. They're just looking at their current circumstances and saying, it doesn't look profitable right now, so it must not be profitable. They're taking a snapshot of their current circumstances and they're extending it out to, to eternity. And they're saying, it's not profitable now. It must not be profitable later. And, and Malachi is saying, no, look up. Look up. There's a final day coming. And it may not be profitable today, but it will be profitable in the last day. So, so keep that last day in view, but they just can't seem to, to keep it in view. And I said this in an early sermon, earlier sermon in this series, for you if if all that really counts is what happens in your life, what happens in your lifetime, if all that really counts is what happens in your lifetime, then you're going to have difficulty remaining faithful. If all that really counts is what happens during your lifetime, if that's what really matters, if that's where profit has to be realized, it's going to be difficult for you to remain faithful. It's a common struggle for every believer, uh, but perhaps maybe most challenging for those who are young or young in their faith. Because when you're young, you think you can conquer the world. You have all these high hopes, you have all these dreams of, of all this stuff happening while you're on earth and in your generation. And then when you get older, you realize, I can't even conquer myself. Forget a continent. I, I'm struggling to get over the one sin that's besetting me since I was eight. I can't seem to conquer that one thing. And it can become discouraging, and, and that discouragement can cause a, a sour kind of character to grow, and it's hard to remain faithful. I, I just hear the the Apostle Paul in his last letter in 2 Timothy, he's he's, he's Trying to fans Timothy's faith in the flame. Because he knows it's going to be difficult. Timothy's young. Paul's just about ready to die. And he's, he's suffered most of his suffering. And so Timothy's sort of entering in the gate of suffering. And Paul's exiting. And he knows that during this suffering, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to become sour. And he says, my son, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering. And then Paul gives three visual illustrations. Timothy, as you get ready to enter into this shoot of suffering, it's going to be like this. You're going to, you're going to have to be like, in the three illustrations, a soldier. And, and you're, not, you're not particularly concerned about civilian affairs. You're just listening to, to the voice of the commander. See, when, you, when you're a soldier, you're, you, you are fighting something horizontally, but what's driving you forward is another voice. And Timothy, in order to stay the course, you can't just be consumed by your circumstances. You've got to hear another voice coming in. Or you've got to be like the, the well-trained athlete. That will endure difficult circumstances to get to that one prize. That, that gold medal. Or you've got to be like the hard-working farmer. These are the three illustrations Paul gives to Timothy. Timothy, you might spend your whole life planting, weeding, watering. But, but be like the faithful, hardworking farmer. Don't, don't allow your current circumstances to make you feel like that's the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. You've got to have the end in mind in order to, to move forward. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Matt uh, and Lauren Tate got married here at Christ Community Church. And I had never met Matt's parents, at least I couldn't remember so. And I remember having a conversation just out in the hallway with his dad during the day of the wedding and his dad talked about being an, a farmer. And he has this, this several acres uh, in the Midwest. And I said, well, what, you know, what do you farm? Walnut trees. And, and I first thing was was just farming the walnuts. And he said, no, it's really just the trees. I'm, I've got a bunch of trees. I can't remember how many trees he said, but I planted those in 1983. I was like, oh, my gosh. 30 years ago, you planted these trees. And I said, well, you know, when are you going to harvest those? Because he was, you know, not 30 years old anymore. He said, I don't think they'll be ready for 30 more years. And I guess he saw the look on my face like, why'd you plant walnut trees, dude? <laughs> I mean, wheat, it comes up in a year, doesn't it? You I mean, you can harvest that right away and get some cash crop, right? But see, he, he had a different view in mind. He said, yeah, the profit for this will be my, for my sons and my grandsons, not for me. And I'm wondering if you can be a planter for 60 years, and that's okay. And I said, well, what do you do? He said, every year I go up and prune the trees, weed them, make sure they don't have any disease. I said, so that's your, I mean, I didn't say this to him at this moment, but in my mind. I said, that's all you're going to know, planting, pruning, watering, protecting, yep. Yep. And, and the prophet's going to be past your time. Yeah. And, and, and I'm wondering, like Malachi was wondering, do, do you have that? Or does all the prophet have to be right now? Because if that's the case, then you're in great danger of going sour. And then thinking, well, you know what? I guess God's not worth it. And then you just say, well, he's an empty suit. Then there's the sweet people. Verse 16 and 17. When when you read through Malachi from beginning to end, and you reach chapter 3, verse 15, where they say it's just empty to follow God, you kind of get the feeling like the The light's going out in this congregation because it's all been sour up to this point. And and thankfully, when you read verse 16, then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. And then notice the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the, in the day, in that day, when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. It's like, it's like a, a door of a dungeon opens up and you're like, oh, okay. There's some life in this congregation. There's some light, small as they may be. You only get two verses out of whole four chapters. But there's a few people, a little remnant that really have uh, trusted in the Lord. And let's just look at the three characteristics of these people. You can see them very clearly. And then the three characteristics of God towards these people. First, they feared the Lord. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is... The beginning of all wisdom. See, it's just the smartest place to be. It's not the 13-year-old who's saying, Mom and Dad, I got it all down. Appreciate the first 13 years. I'm in cruise control now. No, it's not that. It's the 13-year-old saying, Oh, Lord, please, you have all the wisdom. And I'm so glad you're imparting it to me. I'm, I'm wanting, I'm ready to receive what you have to say. One of the definitions by one of the commentators said this about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a reverence for God that causes you to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is a reverence for God that causes you to depart from evil. In other words, the gravity of God's reality is so powerful, it, it detaches you from evil. I, I'm imagining that uh, Malachi's congregation comes in, they're, they're in the sanctuary, they, they sing, they sit, and they leave, but by the time they hit the parking lot, they're sour. And a few of these people are walking with them, and they get into the conversations around the donut table or in the parking lot, and and they hear the sourness come out because it's hard to keep it in. And it's so easy when you're around sour people to what? Oh, to become sour. You ever sit in a coffee shop, and about an hour later you're at your office or wherever, and you go, What's that smell? What is it? It's, it's you. You've been sitting in it, and now you smell like it. And maybe that's a good smell, but there there's some smells that are just sour that permeate you. And if you're around sour people, it's easy to become sour. It, but what's happened for these few people is the reality of God is so powerful that it's detached them from being sour. They just say, no. <laughs> I'm trusting in God's sovereignty. I'm trusting that God doesn't need my help to run the universe. I'm trusting that he's in control. I'm trusting that his plan is good and it's not as good as anything that I could dream of. So I'm detached now from entering into that sour conversation. Secondly, they esteem his name. This is a contrast if you looked back in chapter 1 verse 6 where the actual priests that Malachi addresses, he says they've despised God's name. Now here, this little group of people, they come in and they esteem His name. And this could be a whole sermon series, The Name of the Lord. But, but it was their first impulse to, to raise high the name of God. They, they understood that on the stage of life, God was the only player. Everybody else was a pawn. So everything ought to point to God. Everything lifts up His name. And, and you know this from Jesus' own prayer, do you not? The, the disciples come and say, Jesus, you've got something going on with prayer. Because when you pray, something happens. So can you teach us to pray? Great, great. Come, come gather around. First thing you want to say, Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. See, guys, that's the orientation of everything else about your prayer. Is that God is, His name is above everything else. It's above your needs for bread. It's above your needs for forgiveness. It's above your needs to, forgive, to have the power to forgive someone else. His name means everything, and everything else orients around that one thing. So this, these people understand the power and the need to esteem the name of God. And then they spoke with one another. And we don't know what they said, but most, most people would see it as they need encouragement. I mean, it's just a few of them. And so they get together and say, hey, we got to encourage one another. And you remember that from Hebrews 10, do you not encourage one another? And all the more until you see what? The, de- the day approaching. See, the day is approaching. And, and you might right now be a person who's saying, my soul is going Sour. And what I'd want you to say is, put me around somebody who's sweet, please. Because I need somebody to encourage me. I need somebody to get up underneath me. I need somebody to, to lift up my head and see the end because my circumstances are so dire. I might go sour and I might think God's an empty suit. And I don't want that. So Malachi is doing that for us. Aren't you glad he's our preacher this morning? That he's lifting our head towards that end. And we see God's reaction. He's listening. God paid attention and heard the the, the Hebrew picture is that he bends over to hear every word. It's, It's a hard life and a lot of their prayers are just whispers. But, but he bends over. He's going to hear every word. Notice in both cases, the sweet and the sour, God is listening. He hears the hard words against him. He hears the words of those who fear him. I've been reading through uh, Ecclesiastes in preparation for our sermon series this summer in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 5, the wise preacher of Ecclesiastes gives this advice when you come to worship. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. Don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It seems like to me he's saying, you know what, Paul? When you come to worship and you come to address me, most of the time, buddy, you don't know what you're talking about. So you just be quiet. How about that? That's probably your best position and you listen to what i have to say and you let your words be few most of the time we don't have any idea what god is actually doing we like to think that we do but he's out to a million things all at one time and we might guess one of them and he's saying when you come into the house of the lord let your words be let your words be few so he's listening and then notice he's writing a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord. He's bending down and he's got a tablet and he's making notes in a book. So the The ancient... Near East, you know, picture of the kings that would create books of significant events or significant people. They'd have somebody to come in and take notes and then occasionally they'd read back the notes that were taken or the names that might have been forgotten. And the Lord's bending down and he's writing the names of those who feared him on a tablet. It reminds you of John's vision at the very end of the Bible Revelation 20:12 I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened Another book was opened which is the book of the life and the dead were judged according to what that was recorded in the books See God's bending down he hears every word he's recording You're worried about the NSA tapping into your cell phone? I wouldn't be so concerned about that. God Almighty hears every word. Finally, He's sparing. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. You're sparing somebody who's in the way of something. See, they're in the way of judgment. God's saying, I'm going to spare them. I'm going to spare them like a father would spare a son. How is it possible for God to look on us and treat us as, as if we've been a faithful son? How is it God can look on us and spare us and say, Paul, it's like you've been a faithful son. I mean, if you've been here. You know where I'm going, don't you know? Because <laughs> he gave his son. So he looks at me and he sees Jesus. For those who have feared him, even though they are sinners, he's spared us because of his son. And, and it's interesting to me, and I can't say what Malachi might have known at this point, but he's just using an illustration Here he is, he's the last prophet of the Old Testament, and he says, God's going to spare you like he spares a faithful son. And if you turn one page in your Bible, you read in Matthew 1.20. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sin. Amen. I want to close by just looking, and you might want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Because sometimes it can just feel like, yeah, that's Malachi. Old Testament prophet, always kind of hard guys. Saying to the congregation, God's looking, God's gonna make a distinction. And maybe that's not part of the New Testament. Let's make sure. Chapter three. John is writing and Jesus is speaking to John and say, I want you to write these to certain churches. And there's this church in Sardis. In chapter three it says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're sour. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then that you re- what you received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you, you have still a few. See, there's just a few. Sweet. Still remaining. People who haven't soiled their garments. People who walk with me in white. For they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name Out of the book. Let's pray together. Lord Malachi is a preacher to people inside the church. He's not preaching that the sour people are outside and the sweet people are inside. He's saying in the church there's sweet people and sour people. And he reminds us, as John reminds us, that you're still bending down and you're still hearing every word and you're still recording it in a book. So, Lord, we we plead for help, uh, for forgiveness when our attitudes and our actions have just been so sour. We ask that, that you would help us to, to live with the end in mind. That there is going to, there is a final day where the chains will all fall off and we'll be set free. Help us to live with that day in view. Lord, as we come here together and are around this table, You say to all those who have committed themselves to you to come. To be encouraged, to be refreshed, to remember again the sacrifice, the son, so that God Almighty might look at you one day and say, my son, my daughter, welcome.